you're listening to the Fearless Business Podcast. You're in the best place to learn about how to grow a business, get more clients, and make more money without fears and limitations, all while having fun in the process. Robin Waite is the founder of Fearless Business, a business accelerator helping coaches, consultants, and freelancers double their income and more. Now here's your host, Robin Waite. Welcome back, everybody. It is the Fearless Business Podcast again, and I have got a a guest on today who I've been waiting a long time to get this guy on, and the opportune moment came up. Uh, He um, has not only just got an interesting name, Trevor Toecracker Crook, and I'm going to be digging into where that name came from, Uh, but this guy is um, uh, a living legend in my eyes in terms of uh, what he knows about advertising, what he knows about copywriting, what he knows about um, uh, positioning and pricing and writing proposals and things like that. And I know that everybody in the group and everybody listening to the podcast is going to seriously get a ton of value over the next 30 minutes or so. So welcome to the podcast, Trevor. Thanks, mate. It's been a long time. Has been. It's been a couple of years, I think, hasn't it, since we, uh, since we properly caught up? Yeah, beers, beers in London, I think about, uh, yeah, closer to two years and 18 months. So That's it. So um, I don't tend to, I don't like doing the, uh, the, the usual boring question on the podcast of, right, so tell me about yourself, Trevor. Uh, where on earth did Toe Cracker come from? Yeah, interesting question. Uh, back in 2000, I was uh, still a, a finance broker in those days, um, renegotiating deals between the banks or with a client's own bank for you know, a better deal, basically. And it was in 2000 I started to, to uh, study you know, marketing stuff and stuff you know, from Dan Kennedy, et cetera. And I'd bought a box of marketing crap, basically, um, which because it's something I was interested in rather than being a, a banker because I spent 20 years in the banking profession. And so I started to apply the knowledge that I had found in these manuals of cassette tapes back then to my clients. And I was consulting to a company doing um, eight figures a year. And after giving him some sort of uh, verbal kicks in the ass about, you know, the juvenile ways of them doing their business and how they could change it, uh, after discovering the parent company was basically raping and pillaging the profits from the sister company, leaving the one I was consulting to's cash flow screwed. They had an overdraft limit of $900,000 and zero working capital. The average daily debit balance was $900,000. So there was no, no room for working capital, no fluctuations. And the product I was selling, I was actually a client as well. And I said, look, and basically we were wrapping up the, the consulting to them. I said, look, by the way, if you increase your prices 10% overnight, 95% of your customers won't bat an eyelid, won't leave. I said, myself included, you sell this for like $35, I'd happily pay $39 for it, right? And um, left it at that. 2001, I get into the copywriting side of things and I, I quit brokerage. And I get this unsolicited testimonial letter from that company basically thanking me for, you know, changing their business. They look forward to going to work on a Monday. 
And thanks to your toe cracker ways, you solved our cash flow problems. And so I called up Chris and I said, hey, Chris, how much did I solve your cash flow problem? He said, well, we went from a $900,000 hardcore overdraft debt, so basically 900 grand credit card, to an average cash at bank daily balance of around three quarters of a million dollars in those 12 months. Wow. So it's $1.65 million turnaround in cash flow by putting their price up 10%. All right, simple. Now, I didn't come up with the marketing strategy of that. I learned it on these tapes. So yeah, that's genius. Mm-hmm. And um, so as I was getting into the copywriting, I thought, yeah, I like that. I do like to kick ass. And so I used that, Trevor Toe Cracker Crock, and now it's just, I mean, most people just call me Toe Cracker. I rarely get called Trevor, which is fine by me. <laughs> so it's only your mum calls you Trevor. I shouldn't have called you Trevor at the start of the podcast. <laughs> hey, sure, don't call me TC because you might get cracked. <laughs> <laughs> warning you. <laughs> Say again. Just warning you. Okay, okay. I'm, I'll be prepared. <laughs> I, I'm curious. I want to. I'm going to dig into actually. Like, so the difference of like shifting the prices from thirty five dollars up to thirty nine dollars. Not a lot. But did you get like the international sign of distress went out when it was like, what put our price up? Couldn't possibly do that. All of our clients will run for the hills. Uh, there was definitely a concern, obviously, to do um, eight figures a year. They sell, but, you know, the, the gas bottles, you know, you go to, the, go to the gas station, service station. They're called swap and go, so swap the bottle, right? Um, there's a little bit of hesitancy, which is normal for most people when you say put your prices up because the fear is, that the existing customers are going to leave and it'll be so much harder to get new clients, which is just total BS, right? Um, So when you are prepared to increase your prices, it's a game changer. And uh, look, in my own case, right? So back in 1999, when I was doing the broking, but clueless about marketing and positioning and pricing, I knew I was good at going into any any potential business owner that had facilities with banks of, you know, ranging from about three quarters of a million up to five, 10, 20 million dollars, and being able to renegotiate a better deal with their bank, save them a truckload of interest, or refinance them, right? So with that in the back of my mind, I was doing the equivalent of the free quote. Right? I would go there, I did it for four years before I cottoned on knowing that I would be able to show them how much I was getting screwed by the bank and then do the refinance and get the, the brokerage fee. One day I had a brainwave and I thought, well, I'm doing this finance investigation report, hence a quote proposal. Um, I'm going to charge $750 for it. I had a business partner at the time who I'd brought in. We used to work at the same bank. He's like, no, no, you know, they, they won't, you know, no one's going to pay that. And I was like, well, bullshit. I mean, let's just try it. If they don't, guess what? We stop it. The response was okay. Two weeks later, I felt I hadn't charged enough, wasn't charging enough. I put it up to $1,500. And guess what happened, Robin? More people responded. Now, I'm talking decent-sized loans here, so they saw the value at $1,500 but I still felt we were under the mark. So I said to my business partner, Brett, I'm doubling this to $3,000. And he literally had heart palpitations. So I said, look, let's just test it. Now we'd both seen business clients come in paying 
large accountant firms who are clueless when it comes to banking proposals, they're bean counters, not financiers, charging clients $5,000, $10,000 to put a loan submission together and we wouldn't use anything other than their asset and liability statement and the financials, right, and we'd rip their cash flows apart. So it's like if clients will pay that money to accountants, well, then they'll pay us to give them the right investigation. With they can either have a choice, go to their own bank with a report and try and do it themselves, which we know they can't, they're in fear of bank managers, or pay us a fee to do it. And when we went from the zero to 750 to 1500 to $3,000 in 30 days, we got a better closing rate because they could see the value in that $3,000 report, basically, that I was doing for free a month earlier. Well, they've got skin in the game basically at that point, haven't they? They've got skin of the game, but they also see the value of that document because they're all, these are, you know, I mean, I saved one client $357,000 a year in interest. Wow. You know, I only charged him 80K for the success fee. You know, stupid me. Um, (laughs) So 3K in that instance is cheap then. Yeah, 3K in the initial and then go, okay, well, yes, we want you to do it because we've been trying ourselves and, Here's a, and we agreed on the success fee. Now, that's just one example, right? There's many of them. You know, I've, um, I met a business coach um, at an event in the, in the US in 2000 and, uh, 2011. And she came to see me after the event. And so we sat down and asked her some questions about her business. And she said, look, I want to be able to go from charging 350 US an hour, right, to $500 an hour. I need your help. So I probed her like a proctologist, right, and I I wrote down all her answers and I just, I looked this square in the eyes and I said, Michelle, there's no way in this world you're worth $500 an hour. And I paused and sat back in the chair, folded the arms, watched her face like get all, you know, almost teary. And I said, that's because you're worth at least $750 an hour, payable 10 hours in advance, right? And then I, I showed her, told her how to position herself to do that. She went back that day and changed her fees from 350 an hour to 750 an hour based on what I told it to do. Simple, right? Yeah. I think well, sometimes though we need to have like, there's a, a belief and I think, um, you know, people undervalue themselves. And one of the interesting things about moving from free to actually charging something like you did going from free to 750, all of a sudden when somebody pays for something that was free, your belief system immediately changes because you've got that validation. Ah, somebody is willing to pay for it. I wonder what you start to then get a bit creative. I wonder what they might be willing to pay for it. Yes. So you kind of can then move up through those levels of initiative. But sometimes you need that, like you said, you need that bear to come in and poke you and tell you that what you're doing almost without saying this, what you're doing is wrong. And to sow the seed of an idea that you can potentially charge more. And at too many, I don't think there's enough people. There's not enough bears around going doing the poking, I think at the moment. Yeah, look, true. Um, I got I got poked by a bear in uh, 2009, actually. Um, I'd spoken at an event in Vancouver, Canada, where I was living at the time. 
and one of the speakers that, that was at the event, he was like a, a business consultant, and he just picked up a, a contract with one of Trump's companies at the time before Trump was president for $350,000 for the year, right? So guys, you know, clearly, clearly got some, some smarts about him. And we're having lunch uh, about a week or so after the event, a few beers, and he said, look, Toe Cracker, he said, I um, loved your presentation. He said, but you lost credibility with me. And I was like, oh, do tell, give it to me. I can handle criticism. And he said, look, all the things you said, the, the, the testimonials, the proof, the case studies, the results, I'm guessing they're all true. And I was like, yeah. He said, where you lost credibility was when you said you only charge $750 an hour. And I was like, all right, drink my beer, do tell. He said, corporate world, especially the Fortune 500 companies, would pay you at least $5,000 an hour. This is 2009. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I said, I don't want that market. It's not my market. I said, but I'll put my fees up to $2,000 right away. And I did. I went from $750 an hour to $2,000 an hour. Like that. And what do you think happened? Better quality clients? More commitment? Better quality clients. People paid it. They're still paying it. It's even more now. And the, the clients at 750 an hour were a pain in the ass, right? But again, I needed someone else to, to poke me and go, well, you know, you've got all these runs on the board, you're, you're undercharging. I did, I did nothing different except change the number and the hourly rate. Yeah, but again, it's, it's value and belief, isn't it? It's just, yeah. it's, it's all about people's perception. I remember I went through a similar sort of um, process when I was running my sort of, my first business doing building websites and things like that. And um, just before the recession hit, we, we were only charging like something like £10 a month for like hosting plans. And um, I, there, wasn't, there wasn't many like local agencies. I wouldn't say that were, you know, there was probably only, I don't know, 25 agencies locally to us. And I, I would have put us in the higher, the top end of quality, but £10 a month hosting. And I remember saying to my business partner, I've got, an, I've got a bit of an uneasy feeling about kind of the state of play with business at the moment. I said, um, I think we need to put our prices up. And he was like, what, 10%, 20%? I said, no, I think we need to shift up just a very basic package where there's nothing, you know, where we don't really give anything extra. It's just your hosting plan with a, we'll shift from five, nine to a three, nine uptime, you know, guarantee on it. But let's put it up to 50 pounds an hour. Oh, I couldn't possibly do that. Nobody will pay that. All of our, all, all our competition will laugh at us, all this sort of stuff. And I just said, well, we, you don't know that. You don't, you don't def definitively know that's what's going to happen. Like we've got no data to say that people won't pay this. So I said, let's just do it anyway. And what ended up happening was we, we had about 120 clients at the time. We lost 40 of them. So we lost a third of our client base. But our revenue just from those basic support plans went up two and a half times overnight. Nice. <laughs> and it was like, my business partner was like, okay, you can make the decisions about money from now on. I was like, yeah, cool. That, I mean, it was a bit of a happy accident. I, wouldn't, I was kind of like just taking a bit of a punt. The interesting thing about that was though, that um, you know, the recession hit and the real proof in the pudding to me was the end of, you know, we started off with 25 design agencies lately by sort of 2011, 2012. And I'd say things have recovered. There was only five and we mm. were one of them, you know, and just one simple decision around pricing can have such a massive knock on impact. Um, and I, I noticed as well, um, uh, a lot of people are like discounting their core product, especially like consultants and people like that. It's like the more hours you buy, the less you should pay for it. And, um, 
I'm like, on average, they're discounting by more than 20% when you break it down. Most businesses these days are pushing a, 20, a 15 to 20% net profit margin. So I'm like, you do realize that giving somebody that discount up here, you're just killing your profit down there. Are you surprised like you're struggling? Yeah. Yeah, like it's a, it's a strange one. And for me, because I've dealt with so many different professions and niches slash industries, and they all pretty much have that same psychology, you know, what we both know is I can't put my prices up. People won't pay, you know, so you're competing on price. And, you know, like, especially as I said earlier before we recorded, you know, I'm, I've got a business partner in the UK. We're now helping landscapers and, you know, pond builders and any, any niche around the landscaping and garden design business with uh, group mentoring. And, you know, some of our guys only literally in the first month, you know, they've been the prices have increased their prices 40%. And guess what? They're still getting the jobs, you know. Um, we had our weekly call on Monday and we challenged one of the guys who was doing garden designs and until literally a few weeks ago for blank zero, right? And we was like the week before, the two weeks before, we did a hot seat with him and said, right, well, he changed to $497, or 497 pound. And during the hot seat, and I think everyone listening to this, you really want to grasp this next bit. He was like, well, if it's for a simple patio, you know, and we go, yeah, but it's simple patio to you. Can your customer build that? Can your customer design that? Hell no. Right, you're undervaluing what you're doing because you can do it with your eyes closed. Right. It's the old analogy of, you know, you, you've got a problem with the plumbing, the plumber comes out, bangs the pipe, gives you a bill for 250 pounds. We know where to bang the pipe. He still should get paid for his expertise, not for time. Yeah. And so we challenged Craig on that hot seat the week and a half ago, literally, to, all right, for jobs to this level, your design fee is now 997 pounds. Because even he admitted when he was talking about it on the hot seat that he realised he's too cheap at 497 It was so easy to sell. It was like, yeah, a couple of weeks ago you weren't charging anything. And on our call on Monday, he goes, guess what, boys? I've got my first £997. I mean, it's like imagine every job you do now, we've got scale for him to go up to, that extra £997 per job that he wasn't getting literally three weeks ago. It's simple. You just got to pull the trigger on. The the hourly rate thing is is uh, it it still baffles me as well because it's like um you know imagine like you've got the the guy who's green never done the job before charging hourly rate making mistakes taking twice or three or four times as long as the pro you know and he's getting paid as solid like you know twenty five pounds now fifty pounds now whatever it might be you've got the guy who's worked like solidly for twenty years built up his reputation built up his brand. Uh, you know, got his got his marketing and his website all firing, and he's charging fifty pounds now because he doesn't know any better because that's all he's ever done. But yeah. the job takes him a quarter of the time, so it's almost like he gets he gets penalised for having built up all of these skills. Like you said, the plumber who can just come in and knows where to hit it, and that that's how much it costs. Yeah, well, one of uh, one of my my partner's former like one to one clients that he was doing his private private mentoring with him is a, a pond builder in the UK, and when he started with Barry, his turnover was about half a million half a million pound, 
So, of course, implementing your systems and all your scripts, implementing Barry's pricing structure, in other words, put your prices up and follow this format, within 18 months it's at 1.2 million quid turnover. So, by implementing some systems, having some better marketing in place, but predominantly having a belief system about his, what his worth is and putting the prices up accordingly. Right, he's on his way to do two million quid this year. He will, right? Predominantly through pricing and positioning. So, talk to me about the positioning side of things. Obviously, we talked a lot about the mindset around kind of increasing your prices, the belief system there. But obviously, that can't be backed up unless you kind of got assets in place. So, what? How do you? How do you kind of start to? Do you have to reposition yourself when you put your prices up? It's well. It's generally better that if you can reposition yourself through proof. What I find, whether it's a, you know, a consultant or a business coach sending off a proposal slash quote, copywriter, which you know I've mentored a lot, landscape gardener, a brickie, anybody doing a quote, B2C, business to consumer, they normally just give you like a quote. You know, here's my price. They might throw a bunch of testimonials at their prospect if they're lucky, but they're not positioning themselves correctly. Now, you and I both know you've got my proposal format, right? which my proposal format for mentoring is now about 27, 28 pages long. My copywriting proposal, which is 80% of the same proposal, is a few pages less. Half of that is proof in, in snapshot case studies. Yeah. So you can, people can position, and when you, testimonials are great, but they've lost their impact as far as I'm concerned to a degree with social media and you know, people writing BS testimonials. But, when you can have a case study, even a snapshot of a prospect really go, wow, that, that person was just like me. Here's their results. Pricing really becomes irrelevant. And the amount of times that I've mentored copywriters and they follow my format, but, of course, when I'm mentoring them, they've got to send it to me for final approval. And I will just change a number. One guy, he was going to charge almost 9,000 US for a project. And I just went, almost 13,000 US. Stroke of a pen. Yeah. Send it off. Money paid. Right? But without the positioning, it's a lot harder to go, these might, you've got to justify your fees. And um, I had this one, one lady a couple of years ago who she hated my proposal format. She came out of corporate background so she would have a call with a prospect and just give them her two-page very corporate clinical basically here's my fees without the proof and it was working quite well up until a point because she was very good on the phone or skype so they're pretty much sold but once you want to get into higher fees like above the 10k she started to struggle so we're on a mentoring call and she's complaining about not closing a $10,000 deal, a $12,000 deal. And she goes, before you say anything, I'm not using your proposal format. It's too salesy. And, you know, I'll keep, the, keep this to the PG version. Uh, <laughs> Please but, don't. You're, you're welcome to swear. It's really not yeah. a problem. Because okay. you know what I'm like. And I was like, Lindsay, for fuck's sake, just humor me and do it. So she agreed. And I was in Poland at the time. She was in Los Angeles. And it was my evening. A few hours later, I get an email from her. 
saying, look, uh, the $12,000 no was agreed to talk to me tomorrow. I don't have time to follow your format fully, but what if I send this off and gave me some snapshot proof, not snapshot case studies, and sent off as an email? I said, yeah, great, do it. Deal done. So she implemented my, my format. Again, it's all positioning and proof which justify your fees, you know. And all of a sudden, about a week later, she emails her entire database, of course, which I'm on, with subject line, what does your proposal say about you? And she's basically giving it, giving it to herself in email about how she come from a corporate background, she refused to, to follow what I said to do. And she got to one point and she's like, yeah. And when he mentioned his proposal format, it was so vile to me, it was like he'd farted square in my face after eating a plate of Brussels sprouts. The taste was so bad, right? But she goes on to talk about how she did it and the results, you know, and that's just beautiful for me because she was hell-bent on, no, this isn't going to work until her pricing didn't work. And then she's like, maybe this guy knows something. It's like, yeah, I've been doing it this way since 2001, so... So guess what? And here's, here's what's interesting as well. You know, I've taken guys in the medical profession, not doctors, but, you know, physiotherapist type stuff, um, people in the, in the building trade who find their conversions aren't what they want them to be. And all I do is get them to follow my process. I explain how to work out the positioning and take take what you might think is even proof or credibility of your results, turn it into a snapshot case study and follow the format, right? One guy went from, he's in the splashbacks business, so they, they do acrylic splashbacks in the, in the trade. Their conversions went up 260% in three months by just positioning themselves better and following a proven format. No, no increase in leads, right, just closing more business by having a better system, a, a better proposal on pricing. Yes. Uh, the guy in the sort of the health profession, he went from closing at 15%, very low, to 60% in just under four months. I was going to show you, share something with you actually, because this is so pertinent and this literally happened today. And um, uh, where is it? So in my group, so we had a coaching call with a group this afternoon and it was a therapist. I only mentioned this because you're talking about sort of physios and stuff. And she was struggling to sell her initial consultation for 50 quid. And I said, well, actually the, the reason you're, you're struggling to sell it at 50 quid is because everybody's comparing you to be, you know, the average physio who's just going out there fixing an injury. Whereas actually you deal with a much more, you take a much more holistic approach. You've got a much better system and, and process to take people through to diagnose their issues. And I said, really what you should be doing on that initial one is way overcharging it because, you know, it then sets the, the right sort of sends the right message for when you then get people signed up to packages. And so literally, I mean, we, it's not a massive increase. So 50 quid now. And I said, I, I was trying to push her for 250. And she was kind of like, no, that's just way outside my comfort zone. So I was like, cool, it's Dutch auction. Let's just increment until we hit a point whereby it starts to get uncomfortable. And that's where we'll settle on. So we agreed on 130 and I get that through today. You probably can't see that's a bit blurred. Yeah. Lots, a bit of smile, lots of smiley emojis, just oh. sold at 130, right? Yeah. 
And that's just before then she'd been str- not struggling, but she'd been um, just not maximizing those opportunities because she didn't know how to kind of um, well, position, you know, to package up what she was actually offering people. And then also we kind of then go into like the monthly sort of things. And, you know, we've probably not doubled those, but we'll, you know, they'll be going up by about 40 or 50% as a result of it. But we just needed this one, one sale to give her the confidence to validate that actually I'm right. <laughs> Tra- yeah. Trevor's right, Toad Cracker's right, and you can do it. Yeah, that, 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 that belief swing is huge. And, you know, I, I've gone through similar things with people, and especially, you know, with um, with the landscaping uh, client of, of mine and Barry's, it was a bit like, yeah, like we wanted him to go to 2,000. We challenged him to charge 5,000, but we knew he wouldn't. But, you know, it was like, well, this job, it's nine, anything up to this, now is 997. And then bigger jobs, it's, it's two grand, right? And he, he, he sees it now because once he tried it, and anybody that's listening and watching, once you have the belief and you try it and understand people will actually go, here's my money or here's my credit card, you'll go, why the heck didn't I do that before? You know, it, it's a game changer. That alone will, will save, you know, it's changed people's lives. Putting your prices up at... Look, I mean, if you do crappy work, right, well, then, of course, it's going to bite you on the backside anyway. But if you're delivering a good service or a good product, right, and you have good customer service, right, people will pay you for that. It's like in my niche, you know, and there's so many copywriters out there, right? Why can I charge $35,000 for a project with another copywriter might charge five, Right? Or why can I charge what I charge as a mentor slash coach? Other people will charge, you know, 10% of what I charge. A, knowledge. B, runs on the board. In other words, results count, reasons don't. And I know what I'm worth and I know what value I take to somebody. So if anyone that's listening can really resonate with that, think about the, the value you offer to your clients don't compare yourself to competitors. They're not relevant. You want to be you first, daylight second, and them having the crumbs. Well, and I, I was talking about like looking at the competition because, you know, Robin's looking at Trevor and Trevor's looking at Dave. Dave's looking at Sharon. Sharon's looking at Tracy and Tracy's looking back at Robin. Like who's actually setting the prices here? Well, yeah. nobody. There's no science behind it at all. And actually, unless you go out and like, and come comes back to test test the marketplace for your business, um, you're not going to know for sure. And I think a lot of people are kind of making this mistake that they think that I I think this is prevalent. I mean, you've been in, in marketing now, like you you predate or you don't quite well. We both predate the internet, but in terms of from a marketing perspective, you know, um, we've kind of seen the growth of things like Instagram, Facebook, and. Uh, LinkedIn and all these different platforms and actually like people are just using it completely wrong because all they're doing is sending out buy my shit type messaging. Yeah. And actually you need, you've got to be so much more subtle than that. Haven't you? Oh, way, way more, especially with, um, you know, you can get yourself so easily into Facebook jail for, for literally a comment, but that it's content. You've got to deliver four parts content, one part sell. You've got to get good at story writing, storytelling. In this case, storytelling through writing. Um, as I said to you earlier before we recorded, you know, I'm a copy chief for 
um, a, a successful advertising agency. And I mean, the amount of the, what's changing on, on Facebook is even just getting worse. You know, they want this, they want all content and transparency as well. Right. And it's got to be, people need to be able to go, you know what? I like what they've said. So I'm going to click and investigate more, not buy my shit. Yeah. That will, that will send you broke. You know, I mean, you, you're in my, in my group on Facebook. There's a lot of content in there. Rarely do I pitch anything, but I still get a truckload of business. Actually, you know, most of my income since I got, since I got on Facebook is through Facebook. Long before there was groups and pages, it was just my personal profile, right? You, you build up your, your own persona, your own branding, you deliver content, and then people will seek you out. I mean, you know how, how Justin and I got together, right? Justin Devonshire. Yeah. It was by delivering content, both of us, valuable content on somebody else's group that we we're a member of to, to his people, and then I go and you content. Yeah, so do you. And then it progressed from there. The relationship was built. So yeah, you've, if you're using Facebook or Instagram or anything, any of the social media platforms, deliver valuable content. Right? I call it eBay. You want to start an emotional bank account deposit with your audience, because at some point in time they want to withdraw from that and then give you money, right? So most of my success has been through relationship building and following my own eBad formula. When I meet somebody, and now a lot of people I don't meet personally until they're a client because I've connected with them through social media, predominantly for me through Facebook, right? But whether you're using Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or anything like that, you have to deliver content that's valuable to them and tell stories about stuff that's relevant to your product or your service. And when you get the engagement, then people want to know more. They can't help themselves because they want solutions to their problems, which you as a listener or watcher can give them. But if you're constantly trying to sell and ram it down their throat, they're not going to gag on. Right. Um, one of my good friends uh, compares it to um, taking a girl who you've met for the first time around the back of the nightclub and banging her against a skip. Like that yeah. relationship's going to go well, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> it's going to end there that night, basically. It's just going to be a quick wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. And we're done. And there's no, there's no like lifetime, there's no lifetime value which you then build with the the customer in terms of a relationship and like it's why i've gone so heavy on on things like the the books and the youtube channel and the podcast and the group because i i i have people who still berate me for giving so much away for free and i'm like um it's i like to do that because i, I believe that like knowledge shouldn't be it should be inclusive it shouldn't be exclusive just because you can afford it you know so at least get started have some wins grow your business. And then when you're ready and you want to take it up to the next level, then you can invest. And, um, I think too, too many people, but I'm patient. I'm in this for the long game and I'm going to be here forever. Um, too many people in my niche, especially coaching, they just, they do literally just want to go outside and bang girls against skips. Like they just want to rush straight to the, 
um, the sale. And I'm like, I'm the guy who's just kind of just waiting for the right girl to come along to look at who looks like she's good, you know, and I'm probably maybe not hanging out in nightclubs either. I'm hanging around in like, you know, more high class establishments where, you know, it's going to be a, you know, so it's, it's kind of, I just take my time with stuff. Yeah, because the, the other approach is they, they might they might get they might get the bang against the, the skip bin, but they also might get a kick in the nuts. <laughs> yeah. you know? So you know, it's which one do you want to? You're probably going to get kicked in the nuts eight times out of ten. So it's um, and part of what you're doing with the giving the content is doing building that emotional bank account deposit. Yeah, because everyone's in, most people are impatient. Like, like, like the coaches you spoke about, rather than, you know, build, build some rapport because I'm sure you've had this. I've had it. Um, many people have had it. People might follow your content for two years or three years or four years before they're ready to invest. Yeah. And then once you've got them, then you, you, if you know your lifetime value stuff, which is a whole other podcast, as you know, you, you've got them. You know what they're worth. Um, most people just don't get it. Yeah. Or they've heard about it and they ignore it or they think it's bullshit. Guess what? You're stupid. Well, what it comes down to is scarcity. I think ultimately there's a lot of business owners. I mean, there's 6 million businesses in the UK and I'd say probably about 80, 90% of them are struggling businesses, struggling small businesses. And the, the scarcity just creates that thing whereby, you know, imagine if you're going into a sale or a pitch situation and your mortgage payment is depending on, on you closing that deal. Who's that going to be about? Well, it's, it's all about, it's not about the client. And then uh, the one reason that drives, I think, um, me is, yeah, value is important, but the client is at the heart of the business, not me. Robin yeah. Waite isn't, isn't the, he is the founder of Fearless Business, but it's not the Robin Waite show. It's, it's about creating fearless business owners, you know, and putting the client at the center of it and, and, if, if, I, if I lose my house over this, then so be it. But so long as I've done the best thing by the client, that's the most important thing. Yeah, and what you understand and what people need to understand is that you need to enter the conversation that's already going on in your prospect's mind, right? Because when you do that, you're going to close the business so much easier, Yes, you still need your proof and positioning and et cetera, et cetera. But you've got to enter that conversation because if you think you know what they're thinking, you're a dead duck, right? It ain't going to happen. It's, it's not about you. It's about them. Cool, man. Listen, we could talk about this all night, I'm sure. I've got a couple of very quick questions, actually. Cool. Um, it's a very, this is a complete change in, in, in tax now because I think um, in terms of the pricing side of things, I think we've got that covered. Um, I was curious, what, um, you live by the international lifestyle. What's that all about? Well, there's the business card. Can you see that? Nice. Yep. <laughs> the new one, Income Without Borders. I, when I left Australia in 2006 after the second divorce or the process of the second divorce and the travel bug was, was well and truly on, um, I decided to changed my business model from being predominantly all offline or about 90% offline, old school, to all online and just travel the world, live anywhere I want, do what I want. As long as I've got an internet connection and my laptop, I'm good. So I've been doing that now since April 2006. 
And yeah, I mean, right now I'm living in Costa Rica, but you know, I lived in Malta for five years, Canada on and off for a couple of years, US, Italy. I was living in Tuscany for 15 months until last January. I just choose where I want to reside, you know, and then travel accordingly. You know, like I came back to Costa Rica in October, mid-October, but by the third week of November, I flew to Amsterdam for six nights. Then I flew to Bangkok to speak at or Thailand to do an event and speak at an event. I was away a month. I came back to Costa Rica two weeks. I flew back to UK in January for a, for a speaking event. Poland for some, you know, Malta, Italy for some playtime. I got back 18th of February and I leave again on the 17th of March. And, you know, the whole time I'm mentoring my clients, I'm doing my work, you know, hence international lifestyle. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think there's a, a very distinct correlation between the, the success that we see kind of externally of you and that international lifestyle that you've just kind of explained there that I think, and, and for example, taking something like pricing where it's all based on belief systems. Cause there are probably the same people that will struggle with putting their prices up are probably the same people that will put up excuses and barriers for not being able to travel the world. And are probably the same people that, you know, struggle to see the way that are rather than delivering all of my coaching consultancy work on a one-to-one basis face-to-face that I could actually do a majority of that work offline it's one of the um I want to talk about coronavirus it's going to crop up isn't it but it's it's like all of these people are panicking because um you know what if we go into lockdown well it's like well you we have zoom we have so much technology available to us like take advantage of it like uh, this is a great opportunity i think you know to, uh, do a bit for the environment why 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 travel when actually you know to get a train up to manchester for a meeting when actually you can all just you know skype in together and, and have that cool it's it's just daft so i'm in i'm in awe i want more of that absolutely look since obviously since 2006 if I had to put a percentage on the actual clients I've met face-to-face, it's probably 2 3%. Most of them I never meet. It's done like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Technology is beautiful, you know. So, again, but, you know, what you just described about the fears of travel, it, it's a belief system for sure. You know, I get so much pleasure out of now of, um, <coughs> excuse me, like my clients, whether it's, you know, copywriting clients or whatever who came to me because they want my, they want their version of my lifestyle and they're now achieving it, you know, and it's like, good, that's, that's perfect because people are realizing that and families do it as well. You know, I'll, you know, Mr. Pineapple pizza lover, you know, I'm talking about, um, did a post the other week because he's thinking about, you know, what about with him and his wife and their babies, just do it. You know, he can do everything he does from anywhere in the world. 100%. I'm, I'm Interestingly, before I met you, Trevor, you know, you've got your event coming up in, in May and we'll, we'll have a quick chat about that. But if you, when you met me a couple of years ago uh, in Cyprus, I think that was the first time I'd ever gone abroad for, for my business. Oh, wow. My coaching business, right? Oh, for, for any businesses which I don't. I've been abroad for other people's businesses I worked in like back in the early 2000s. But um, it was the first time. And, and that, even then it was like I had to go to the wife and ask for permission. Uh, you've got your event coming up and I'm like, fuck it. If I want to go, I'll go. 
<laughs> and it should it should be that simple. But it's it's having that open mind, I think, to be able to kind of take these opportunities when they crop up. So speaking of the event, obviously you've got uh, Gdansk, Gdansk. I can't even bloody say it. Can you say it? Yeah, you're pretty close. Gdansk or the old words of Danzig. <laughs> good, good, okay, Danzig. I'll just go with that one. Gdansk. So you've got that coming up in May. So tell us a bit more about the event. Yeah, look, it's a, it's a three-day event. All The whole theme of this is how to have market domination, right, which we all want predominantly. But it's not just one thing. It's not just copywriting. It's not just this. So I, all the speakers I've got there have a different different skill set to be able to provide people with that market domination. And, um, you know, I mean, LinkedIn experts, I mean, you name it, right? So there's a whole variety of what I call old dogs, like myself, and underdogs. These people mightn't be so young, but they're not that well known, except the runs on the board they have and the way they've been able to dominate markets for their clients, you know, is why they're speaking at my event. So, yeah, I mean, it's full-on content, and uh, two days is the 16th to 17th, and then people who want to, up, you know, do the VIP option, it's the 18th of May, and uh, like at all my events, once you're in there, all the food, like think going to have ever been to a Polish wedding or a Greek wedding or Italian wedding, there is that much food except with vodka. And then um, on the VIP night, I've got a marquee on the uh, tent on the beach in Sopol Beach, um, eight hours open bar, food coming out the Razu. And just an amazing experience. You know, last year, what blew me away when I did the event in August was the amount of business attendees did with, with each other and are still doing with each other, right? Um, and speakers to attendees. My business partner on the landscaping stuff was an attendee at my event, you know, and that's potentially a seven-figure-a-year business pounds this year. Right, so the networking side of it is huge, let alone the content. So obviously, you know, you can drop a link uh, if you know people want to have a look at it. But I know, yep. you, you know, you're probably going to be there. And, That's uh, the plan. Yeah. That's the plan. And a little testimony, which I didn't say beforehand. So one of your attendees, I got a referral from your event last year. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, good old Dino. So it made an introduction to me for somebody last year. So uh, even as a byproduct of me not attending, there is still great value in the event. And I know that there was a, a whole ton of uh, um, uh, sort of networking and stuff that went on at the event and business was passed. So um, I'm, I'm super excited about it. And um, it's something which you do every year as well anyway. So even if people can't get to the May one, there'll be plenty of other opportunities for people to get along with there. Yeah, I think I'll. I think this will be the second one. I think I'll just do one a year, but I prefer to do the, the you know, quality one over quantity. Hundred percent, awesome. So uh, we'll pop some links to that in the show notes and up on the Facebook um, uh, uh, group as well, so that people can actually tap into that. Um, and then, uh, why don't you just let everybody know how they can get hold of you? And I've got one more question just after that, just to finish up. But let everybody know how they can get hold of you. Yeah, look, the, probably the easiest way is, is through uh, through Crackbox, through Facebook. Um, so, you know, it's just facebook.com forward slash toecracker. Um, also, I've got my group, Beers, Bourbon and Business. And, you know, if they're not sure, I mean, I'm sure they can contact you and, and make an introduction. I mean, yeah, I don't use LinkedIn. Instagram is, Instagram is easy. The international lifestyle is my Instagram. 
and or toecracker at gmail.com. Good man. And I can I can kind of um, testify. So uh, to to anybody watching this, listening to this, um, Trevor did some work with me over my proposal template and it absolutely transformed. When people actually get into that and they can see how, um, how it all links together and connects with their business, um, it makes the whole process of kind of um, uh, engaging with uh, pro- prospective clients and closing them into clients that much easier. So uh, it's one of the best pieces of work I think that I've had done uh, in anything like words related around my business, probably even more so than my book. So it's quite a testimony. So um, I've got one more question though, Trevor, just before we before we finish up. So um, we're going to hop into the um, the fearless business time machine and go back in time um, to a period in the past. You, I think you, I'm going to give you the option. Normally, I say ten years, but I'm actually going to give you the option to choose how far back you want to go. And you're going to see Toe Cracker T minus X number of years, and you're going to give them a message. What is that message? Yeah, I'll go back to mm, ten years ago. Right, because 10 years ago, I was quite successful, yet I still wasn't charging enough. I was undervaluing myself. And it was that real conversation over lunch and beers with the bear who got me to put my pricing up to understand just how much knowledge I have, just how much I've already impacted businesses' lives. Not You don't impact the business, you impact the business owner and their staff. And so I should have been charging a shitload more way back then. So if I went back in time, right, prior to that, that lunchtime meeting, you know, I realised that I've been charging that 750 now for several years and I was ripping myself off. So telling myself 10 years ago that basically I would have given myself an uppercut, told myself to harden the fuck up and put my prices up. <laughs> there we go. I'll tell you what, that's going to that's gonna be going into one of the teasers, that's for sure. Um, awesome, Trevor. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for giving up your, um, your time to come and um, chat to us on the Fearless Business Podcast. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, mate. It's a pleasure.